everyone, Liz Collin here. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Liz Collin Reports, a place for truth and meaningful Minnesota conversations. On the podcast today, we are digging into COVID data, the numbers that determined how we lived our lives for the last two years, the institutions we trusted to give it to us straight, and the fallout from some researchers, like the two you're about to meet, who have discovered differently. On Saturday, the headline on Alpha News read in our commentary section, Who Died from COVID-19 in Minnesota? Greg Polis wrote, of all the 2020 and 2021 Minnesota death certificates analyzed, only 291, or 2.67% 2. of the 10,903 certificates we examined were COVID only with no comorbidity listed. The story has since gone viral, and then some, shared tens of thousands of times on social media alone. Greg Polis joins me now, and so does the woman Greg referred to as his research assistant, Morena Muse, as she goes by for this story, but she is also here with us in studio, too. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Marina, I think we can start with you. Greg says that's okay. He wants Absolutely. to <laughs> he wants to give you the credit for all of this, but it really was your own personal loss that propelled you on this journey. That's what led you here. Take us back to 2020 and share what happened. Sure. So, um back in 2020, I had a couple um unfortunate situations. I had a couple deaths uh, that touched me personally. So one of my dear friends that's my age uh, died in May of 2020. And uh, she actually died of uh, cancer. And uh, she tried to seek medical help. She went into the emergency room to get diagnosed with some gastrointestinal issues. And she was turned away. And, and uh, they didn't diagnose her till May. And then she ended up dying seven, eight months later. So I thought, no, that's odd that uh, we're all so worried about COVID. We're, we're not as worried, it seems, about other deaths. So my birth father, um, fast forward to the summer, I got a call from my birth father saying in uh, August of last year, I'm sorry, 2020, that he had just been diagnosed with uh, liver cancer and uh, that he didn't have much longer to live. And uh, he coincidentally had COVID in January of 2020, him and my stepmother, they were just fine. Um, but uh, he had only had a couple months they expected to live. And of course, I asked mm -hmm. questions on how that happened. Uh, and they didn't diagnose him because of COVID. And some of those procedures are what they call elective to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, fast forward a couple months later, um, my stepfather ended up getting COVID in uh, December, December 6th of 2020, and he passed away two months to the day from my birth father of COVID. And uh, what was interesting to me in that is that, and it's obviously a small sampling, but I had two people close to me die that had nothing to do with COVID or indirectly related to how we responded to COVID. And then um, my birth father, or excuse me, my stepfather died of COVID. And in all fairness to my stepfather, he was told he didn't have long to live anyway. He had multiple comorbidities and he is the exact type of person that we should have all been focusing on to prevent any unfortunate outcomes from him. So that's kind of where it started. I'm certainly sorry for the losses. Obviously, you've been been through a lot. Um, but as we're talking about, this pushes you to kind of start asking 
questions um, about how we're seeing deaths uh, tabulated, uh, specifically in, in Minnesota. So how do you even go about doing this, gathering these death certificates and explain how that started? Um, sure. So I started uh, spending a lot of time on the MDH situation update, update site, and I started to learn everything I could about the information on there. Uh, then I started extending into the CDC resources. Um, I even stumbled across uh, Vice President Pence's guidance on reporting for COVID. So I read the document completely. Um, one interesting thing stuck out in that document and uh, as it pertains to hospitalization reporting, um, the question and the data was specific to either perceived positive or positive tests. So people that were in the hospital with COVID as opposed to due to. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And if that would happen to hospitalizations, naturally that would be happening with death. So I actually sent a note to my Congresswoman and I asked the specific question. I said, hey, the CDC's reporting, excuse me, uh, Vice President uh, Pence's uh, reporting guidance doesn't delineate, does the state of Minnesota and the answer was, no, we don't. We just use what we were told by the federal government. And um, then I said, hey, I want to start looking at deaths myself. Um, how do I get access to the death data? And so she told me, she gave me the email, the uh, Office of Vital Records. And explain that for our listeners. What does a death certificate in Minnesota look like for those who haven't seen one and who's responsible for filling them out? So I don't, in full transparency, I haven't seen the specific death certificates, but I have the file. So as an example, in 2020, there were about 50, I forget the number, 55, 50, 52,000 plus death certificates in Minnesota. And so it's a spreadsheet. There's 52,000 rows and there's 200 plus columns of data on each person. So there's a lot of information they gather in addition to what's on the death record, on the death certificate, um, and who certifies them. Uh, I don't recall specifically what the law is in Minnesota, but there are people per state that are certified to complete death certificates. Medical professionals are one. Could be an assistant, could be a nurse. Um, I don't have that level of detail, but it's not always specifically a physician. And you didn't have to wait very long, Marina, for this information. You got this fairly quickly. Yep. I just went through the screening process um, and then I had to pay $20 and I got the email probably within a day. And what's standing out when you're looking at this? Well, there was a lot of data to go through. And so I spent a couple months understanding what the report was because there's no, there's no, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, instructions. There was no instructions on how to use the data, so I had to figure out what it meant. And then I started hiding information, and uh, I started doing queries on uh, what people were dying from, uh, who was dying at what ages, etc. And specifically, you point to in the story this ICD code, this International Classification of Diseases, U071. What does that mean? That is the WHO and CDC's uh, classification. I think it stands for International Classification of Disease, uh, version 10. Uh, so I guess there's nine prior. Um, and that is what the CDC um, codes any 
death related to COVID. So there are 10,984 such certificates that you find related to this in the, in the course of those uh, two years. Um, and, and then explain that because before the um, all of these blanks didn't have to be fill out, filled out on a death certificate, but you find that that has changed. Um, so as it pertains to that, there's two parts to a death certificate, part one, part two. Part one, there's up to four lines, A through D, uh, that describes the sequence of events that causes a person to pass away. Uh, so starting at line A, that's the last thing that caused the person to pass away. And then you use the lines below it up to line D to add things that were part of that series. So as an example, if you had COVID pneumonia, that might be on line B. And if you um, had, if COVID pneumonia caused you to stop breathing, that could be acute respiratory distress syndrome, and that might be on the line above it. So in that case, that would be a classic example of a, of a COVID death. That happens to be the exact one from my father's death certificate as well. Uh, and then in part B, you might list comorbidities. So speaking about my father again, not to share too much, um, but he did have COPD, he did have hypertension, he did have type 2 diabetes, and normally you would expect to see that in line uh, part two, and that wasn't included, interestingly. So if you were to look at my father's death certificate, you would think a perfectly healthy 70-plus-year-old passed away of COVID. And that wasn't the case. You're the first to admit. It 100% wasn't the case. It would have... he. He could have caught any viral um, virus and uh, a cold or whatever, and he could have had the same outcome. So you're tracking this basically monthly, it sounds like. Um, and you told me that the more I learned, the more mad I got. Those were your exact words. But explain That's that correct. why. That's correct. So I uh, took time. I've actually got on my phone the CDC's death classification manual on my phone so I can geek out and code pretty much any death certificate if I'm told what a person's, uh, what happened to them or what have you. Because some people like to question, well, you're not a physician, Marina, so what do, you, what do you know? Well, you don't have to be. You just have to understand the process and use the tools that the CDC provides. So what struck me as odd is I there was a uh, the CDC in May of 2020 um, did a one-hour education, uh, and it was an extenuating ex ex education or whatever. So if you're a physician and you wanted to get an hour worth of your 40 hours of credit, you could get credit for this. I took that class four times wow. and took copious notes. It was an hour. It wasn't hard to do. But what struck me as odd is they specifically told you how to code it, the death certificate correctly for covid and here's some of the important data points. Um, one is they said, if COVID had nothing to do with the death, don't put it on there. Now, that wasn't overly emphasized, but and that was indirectly actually said. So if something didn't contribute to the death, don't put it on there. That was more along the, the lines. So indirectly, they were saying, if COVID didn't contribute, don't put it on there. But then in another breath, they said, you know, for historical purposes, we want to know who had COVID. So if you think there was COVID or they tested positive, that should be included. Well, just because someone tests 
positive doesn't mean that COVID has anything to do with death. Then they shared and they focused on a logical sequence and they said that you should make sure that you focus on a logical sequence. Again, the bottom line of part one being the underlying cause, I probably didn't say that, but the bottom line would be the underlying cause. Back to my father's example, his underlying cause would be COVID because that was on line B, the bottom most line of his death certificate. So they said, for example, if you put COPD on line C, COVID on line B, and uh, Parkinson's on line A, that is an illogical sequence, which is correct. It is illogical, but they gave you the added guidance that you want to put COVID on the bottom of that sequence. The reason you want to do that is because COP doesn't cause COVID. Okay, that's true, but the reverse is also true. Mm. COVID doesn't cause COPD. Mm. So to me, that stuck out as a very illogical sequence. And I can understand, going back to my dad, that was a very logical sequence. But when you start seeing death certificates with Parkinson's uh, blunt force trauma to the head, a bunch of conditions, those aren't logical sequences. Those are just conditions that somebody had. So when you start listing off conditions, it is not obvious that which of those conditions actually caused a person to die. Does and, that make sense? Yeah, and I think we'll get into some of those findings here in just a minute because it really is uh, fascinating how you were able to, to break that down. But you wanted to do something with this information, which I commend you uh, for doing so. And so you just took it to a local school board and, and wanted to, to talk about it, um, basically kind of uh, to reassure that the, the kids would be okay, right? That was sort of your, your message? So, yes, so I was hyper-focused on getting kids back in school. Um, before I share that, a little anecdotal side note, which I think I just want to put it in perspective why I sh chose to participate, is uh, my daughter was in school, um, school year 2020-2021, all day, every day. Very proud of that. Of course, they were in masks. Uh, but uh, some of the other schools even a mile away from my house, weren't in person for that full school year. Um, just like everybody, we had a surge of cases. Whether you were in school or not, there was a surge in the fall of 2020. And so we were trying to minimize the chances of the school having to shut down. So we just decided to get creative solutions together because uh, there was mandatory quarantining required. So we spread out all the desks six feet apart. So then kids wouldn't have to be quarantined. Um, and then we needed parent proctors in order to oversee all these different areas of the school. So I volunteered three days a week, two hours each day. And so I watched what happened in the school and a few things stuck out. We could control what was happening while kids were sitting at their desks. They were six feet apart. They had their masks on, et cetera, et cetera. But as soon as they started walking the hallway, they're sharing drinks they're sharing food. They pile into the same car after school and mm. take their masks off. And I'm like, well, how do we know what we're doing at school is having... It's working. We yeah. don't. Um, so anyway, all that just had me hyper-focused on schools, right? So I felt very deeply that every kid should be in school. So I shared my information with some of the uh, various school boards in support of hey, I want to give you some confidence that uh, you should be back uh, in school full time. 
And some of the feedback I got was very interesting, and I was graciously told, thank you, but we're going to rely on MDH for that. So if MDH thinks that, I'm sure they will tell us that. Another little anecdotal side note is when I was discovering things, I would ask um, my congresswoman who shared it with some entities at MDH. I don't know who these people are. But I'd say, hey, is anybody looking at this? Look at this interesting data point I found out. No, nobody's looking at that. And my question was, why not? Mm -hmm. And the response was, well, that's why we allow people to have the data. It's for people to learn this information. And so rhetorical question that never got answered. Well, I don't have the authority to make any decisions here. So me having the light bulb turned on is rather worthless. You know, it doesn't change how we approach things in this state. You're listening to the authors behind the story, Who Died from COVID-19 in Minnesota? Marina Muse and Greg Pullis are both here in studio with me. And this is where I want to bring Greg into the conversation. Greg Pullis, I know you're a lifelong Minnesotan, a retired attorney who practiced law for 40 years, at one point running for state Senate. I know there's a little bit more to your background than just that, but why uh, was this something in particular that you wanted to tackle with Marina? I thought that we approached this crisis with fear instead of courage. And I was angry right from the very outset uh, with uh, the media. I was angry with uh, the governor. I was angry with the public health authorities because I felt they were leading us with fear and not with courage. And I also felt Uh, that we weren't getting the full story. Uh, We knew from the outset that uh, COVID-19 was extremely contagious because it had this furin cleavage site engineered into it. And we knew it was deadly for aged people in particular. Uh, But beyond that, we weren't given much. If you remember, early on, we couldn't pull it out of them as far as how many people were dying in nursing homes. It literally had to be pulled out of them uh, that a huge percentage of the people dying were from nursing homes. And so I, I was simply very angry that we weren't getting the information that we needed. And the most important thing is the work that, you know, Morena has done, which is well, the people that are dying, which is the most meaningful thing to us, uh, who are they? I mean, what is the detail behind these people that are dying so we can get that information out to the public and those people can be protected and their loved ones uh, can protect them? Instead, you know, we operated with fear uh, and the governor, you know, has a model prepared and 55,000 people are going to die if we do, if we shut the whole state down and we're going to have 5,000 people a day in the hospital and 3,700 people in ICU units. And so there was just this blanket atmosphere of fear, um, you know, and I think that's the wrong way to govern. I think we should have been given complete information, profiling these deaths day by day, And I think we would have come up with a different conclusion as to how we should have tackled this thing. 
And when you do hear, Greg, then through Marina's research, how they are profiling, as you say, each death, what's going through your mind, you know, when, when you're seeing the data uh, from her and basically how, how it was sort of manipulated uh, mm-hmm. to work for them? Well, her, her data is just so incredibly informative. I mean, who would have thunk? I certainly didn't know as it was happening to us that 70% of these people had three or more comorbidities. 50% had four or more. And 32% had five. And 21% had six or more. I mean, it was astounding to me uh, that why should it be up to Marina to come up with this data? And so I see that data and it's and it says to me, well, really, what was the percentage of people that were at serious risk of death from COVID-19? And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, Jeepers Creepers, it's got to be, you know, a low number, which means that most of us uh, were probably not at risk, serious risk of death. And that then led me to. Well, why are we all quarantining then? Why don't we quarantine the people who are at risk and uh, the healthy population, let them go about their business uh, and build up natural immunity, uh, let COVID-19 go through those populations? Uh, And that would have been a better solution in my mind because we would have had a shorter window when the people who were at risk were exposed to this. And that's part of the findings, too. Marina brought that up already, that many of these deaths were not due to COVID-19 at all. This whole primary cause of death factor and the from COVID and with COVID argument. But there's a few examples in the piece about pulmonary embolism during an elective surgery, tested positive a month prior to the surgery. Um, maybe you guys can feel free to elaborate on some of the, some of the findings here, but I thought that was a pretty eye-opening portion of the story. Well, I would defer to Marina because she has looked at these in depth. And so the description you see in the article of those cases is all hers. So these just, I, I summarized from a few um, death certificates, and believe me, there's plenty to pull from, but these were just some that stuck out. But as you mentioned, um, the one that someone uh, passing away uh, during an elective surgery, and of course, I immediately thought it was cosmetic, but you know, it could have been an elective surgery for a knee replacement. I mean, I don't know. But as you know, anybody before a procedure had to take a, a test, right? And so, That indicates to me, of course, I can't prove it, but just it indicates or it supports that that person probably took a COVID test and couldn't schedule the surgery until she was negative. And then she inadvertently and unfortunately passed away during surgery. Well, that COVID positive uh, diagnosis, in um, my opinion, is meaningless. because it didn't really contribute to the death. Otherwise, if someone was at risk, I'm fairly confident that our fantastic healthcare professionals would have never put someone in a situation that would have put them at risk. I mean, but uh, some of these, uh, so there was another person that had a sepsis-like syndrome and uh, sepsis could happen due to COVID, but it could also happen for a buffet of other reasons, but they had Sub- the healthcare person or the professional that uh, coded the death certificate said that they were 
regardless, they were suspected for COVID, even though there was a negative COVID test. But the word COVID was enough to flag the CDC to code it um, because they take no context into any of the adjectives around the word COVID. Um, then another person, as you as you age, there's a lot of people that unfortunately pass away from falls. It's very obvious when you go through the, the death date of people over 75 who are have uh, a lot of health conditions. But uh, this person, blunt force craniocerebral injuries, so bleeding of the head, which was caused by the fall, and there was a complication due to COVID. Well, that's an illogical sequence. COVID would not necessarily complicate that that uh, blood coming from someone's head. And that person, oh, by the way, died at home. They weren't even in a hospital setting. So, and then if you, there's so much wonderful data on these death certificates, you can find out if an autopsy was done. So if you find someone that was bleeding from the head at home, tested post-mortem for COVID, and you did no autopsy, how do you know that COVID even contributed to the death? Um, was there any other? That this is something that you brought up a bit before, but actually a pedestrian that was struck by a car and that counted um, as a COVID death. Yes, there was a traumatic brain injury caused when a pedestrian was walking across the street and got hit by a car. So they passed away, but postmortem they tested positive for COVID. Now, maybe you could argue that they were in a COVID delirium and that caused them to walk out in front of a car. I mean, it's possible, right? It's not very likely, but it's possible. I know age and weight were also a couple factors you looked at. And Greg, feel free to join the, the conversation, too. Mm -hmm. But that was also something that seemed to be a bit underplayed. I, I think uh, that when you look at ages, so in Minnesota, nine people died, unfortunately. Nine people under the age of 20 died in two years. Well, there's 1.2 million of those people in Minnesota. So you had a 1 in 130,000 chance of dying if you were under age 20. Uh, between 20 and 40, if we take it up to 40, there were 209 people that died. Guess what? We have 3 million people under the age of 40. So you had a 1 in 30,000 chance of dying. And so, to me, age is very relevant to this. You, you add age and you add these comorbidities and you come up with the conclusion uh, that it's a small percentage of people who, who are at risk, serious risk of death from COVID-19. Uh, all these shutdowns, I think, are now being demonstrated to have, you know, they were not effective. I think when you look at excess deaths across the world and you have all these varying ways in which the virus was tackled, well, guess what? This virus marched to its own drummer and it came and it went. And, and so in, in my belief, we spent, I don't know how many trillion, six trillion of federal debt we put on because of all these lockdowns, our children, grandchildren. They're going to have to pay for it. So when I look at age and comorbidities, I think there was a better path. We, we knew based on age and comorbidities who was at risk. Every day, every week, we should have been highlighting who specifically these people were and asking for additional protections for them and asking for their loved ones to pr protect them and let everyone else 
go about their business and avoid all this huge, huge collateral damage uh, from, from these shutdowns. And we are slowly starting to hear more stories that underscore findings like this. Marina, I know you brought up the CDC kind of quietly acknowledging this coding error that they said that they made over counting 72,000 COVID deaths. The agency, I looked up in that story, didn't explain how the error happened or how long it was in effect, only saying that the algorithm was accidentally counting deaths that were not COVID-19 related. But what is your thought after digging into the Centers for Disease Control and how they uh, went about things? Just your your overall take uh, on the agency, Marina. Sure. So I... uh of course, now I can't find. Oh, here it is. You have a lot of paperwork here. I know people people are listening to the paper shuffle. She she knows what she's talking about, folks. Yes, yeah, <laughs> sorry. I just wanted to refer to my notes because I don't want to misspeak. But so um, because I've spent so much time um, looking at these deaths, COVID deaths, death by death by death. So I have a unique perspective in um, my technical skills are lacking. And so I've done it the hard way. And I probably have over 15 hour, 1500 hours into this. So it's, it's not a few hours, it's a lot. And it's because I don't have the technical expertise, but it also gives me an interesting perspective. So when I saw the CDC's coding errors, I created a list of, cause I could see where those, uh, potential coding errors could have come from, and I would love to know if I'm right on any of these. Um, but one is in the search words. So they they search on coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, COVID, COVID-19. Uh, but then I also found that they search on the word 19 spelled out as well as the number 19. So as an example, I found two deaths in Minnesota. One, a woman had a BMI of 19. And, you know, I scrutinized that death certificate. There was no C word anywhere, but the CDC coded as COVID-19. Another one, somebody had an F on a rifle scale. I have no idea what it is. I don't recall. I looked it up, but it has nothing to do with COVID. But they had 19 on the, excuse me, 19 on the rifle scale. That was coded as COVID. So one potential issue would be the search words they're using to flag the deaths. The second would be the context. So, uh, and as I learned in my CDC training that they don't, if you say that someone tested negative or if it was not COVID, don't put it on the death certificate because it will be counted. I encourage people to listen to that one hours. I've done it four times. They tell you straight out. So when there's comments about tested twice, both times negative, and you count it as COVID, clearly that is incorrect by the CDC. Another one could be manner of death. So um, on every death certificate, there's a, an opinion of the manner. Was it natural? COVID is a disease that's a natural type of death. Homicide, that's not natural. That's uh, obvious. Suicide isn't natural. Someone taking their own life. Um, uh, accident. So uh, back to the person that got uh, hit by the car, that death should have been an accident as opposed to a natural death. Um, but you get the point. Uh, though, So if uh, the manner of death is not natural, then it doesn't equal COVID. So I found a huge number of death certificates in the state of Minnesota where accidents 
are not only counted as COVID, but they're also counted as the underlying cause of death. So I would suggest that the CDC needs to rewrite that line of programming. The next thing I can tell you is the statute of limitations. So what's the time frame? There are several death certificates that have erroneous references as well as specific references. So 14 months ago, the person tested positive and then died. And then they call that a COVID death. How do you know at some point, Liz, all of us are going to die of COVID or if I've had COVID. So at some point in 20 years, if you want to, if I pass away, you could call me a COVID death. So I validated that by sending a note to my congresswoman and said, what is the statute of limitations where COVID would no longer be considered? And the answer I got back was from MDH was there isn't any. Wow. So that would be another thing. Has your congresswoman blocked your email yet at this point? <laughs> she, uh, honestly, I did get blocked and I had to. Oh, I, was, I was actually kidding, but no, okay. I did. And, you know, I used a different email to get back. So okay. um, anyway, the other thing is, is the assumption uh, that COVID causes everything. So similar to what I said, um, does COVID cause COPD? The answer is no. Um, so that would be a illogical sequence. And last but not least is, um, and I'm going to tell a story because I think this is a great one, and I think this is hugely undervalued in the grand scheme of things. So one of the things that compelled me, in addition to my personal losses, is um, a few friends of mine had to have what I would deem life-saving surgeries um, during, especially during 2020. Uh, one of my friend's fathers needed a quadruple bypass. Mm. He had a 17% of his heart available capacity, whatever the technical term is, but 17% was the number. And in order to do the quadruple bypass, they gave him a COVID test. Well, he tested positive and he had zero symptoms. Okay. Clearly he had heart problems. Uh, so they sent him home needing a quadruple bypass, oh, by the way, to the care of a woman who had COPD. I'm like, well, that is reckless and stupid. I'm not a physician, but that guy needs heart surgery. What happens if he passes away while he's at home? What was interesting is he tested asymptomatically positive for six weeks. Mm. That person wasn't given that surgery until that test came back negative. Guess what he, what he would have died of, Liz, had he died at home during the six weeks that he needed that surgery? Well, COVID has to be the answer. Of course it was. So um, without this proper lens, hmm. you, you get my point. It just uh, so these are some that's my short list of uh, and I'd love to I'd love the CDC to respond to that and let me know how I did. All really eye-opening. Wow. Um, and let's talk about the reaction since this story came out just this past weekend on alphanews.org. I know people have been pretty fired up. I noticed just some comments on my own Facebook page. Um, but a woman named Kathleen, she said that her mother passed away in May of 2020, not from COVID, but from the isolation of being in her assisted living room 24-7 with little interaction with anyone. She had dementia. And uh, two other people jumped right in to say that they lost their parents the same way. And that's sort of, you know, my point of bringing you on. We're not, you know, it seems like the, the message isn't that COVID is, is fake. It's not real. Um, but there's so many other things to consider. At what cost did we go about doing all of this? But, but what has the reaction been? Well, for me, uh, I have received a lot of affirmative reaction in terms of, yes, we should have approached this differently. 
and we shouldn't have shamed people who disagreed. And so, if you remember, there was a great Barrington Declaration. 10,000 epidemiologists and doctors signed on to that. And uh, they suggested that we do focus protection for the people at risk, but that we allow the healthy population to go about their business and build up uh, natural immunity by exposure to the virus. Now that this is over, we need to have a healthy debate and we can't be shaming each other. And so when the next virus comes along or Omnicon, Zipicon, whatever it <laughs> happens to be, are we going to shut down and do all of these same things again and put on another $6 trillion in debt? Uh, is that the way to go or is the better way to go uh, to try to profile who is at risk and do an excellent job on profiling that and then protect those people? So the reaction I've received has been affirmative in terms of thank you for doing this. And I say, well, don't thank me. Thank Marina, because <laughs> I didn't do any of that. Uh, but I generally speaking, I've I've had nothing but positive comments about this is something we need to talk about. And thank you for bringing that out. I had no idea mm -hmm. that 50 percent of the people who died from covid uh, you know, had four or more comorbidities. And isn't that the point, Marina, to look back and to learn and to evaluate, like Greg said? Of course, we have all this amazing data. Why not take a little bit of time, effort, and energy and understand what that data tells us and learn how to use that information to do things better going forward? I, I think, too, that it, it really brings to mind that just the point of overall health. And I always felt like that was something that wasn't being focused on. You know, we're instead paying kids thousands of dollars in scholarship money if they are vaccinated. But how about we do a contest at school about, you know, eating good foods or, or losing weight as a population stop smoking? Like there's some sort of incentive at, at your workplace or something. But I guess, can you not say that if you're a politician or a health leader? Uh, to me, that may have you know, it's a good time to, to bring it up and something that we should all continue to do as a, as a population. It also goes to show how unhealthy we are as a society, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to say that I did reach out to the Minnesota Department of Health uh, for their reaction on this commentary, and I did not hear back. I'm sure they're busy updating their site. <laughs> Marine is a straight shooter, that's for sure. But uh, thank you both for coming in today. I think this uh, data is uh, is really great and so happy that you brought it to light. But again, Greg Polis and Marina Muse, the authors of Who Died from COVID-19 in Minnesota. Thank you to you both. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. And for our listeners, you will find a link to their full report on alphanews.org. That will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. A special thank you to my podcast producer, Andy Schmidt. We'll be back soon to keep meaningful Minnesota conversations going. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or any other podcast platform. To stay up to date on Alpha News, sign up for our free daily newsletter on our website. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. 